Grand Canyon University, a Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering over 200 engaging programs online. GCU integrates the free market system and its welcoming Christian worldview perspective into its academic programs and throughout our online campus. GCU's online students received over $100 million in scholarships in 2020. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you qualify for. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. At age 30, Carissa finished her high school diploma. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, you can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. How do airplanes fly? What's in this box? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Learn how to store your gun securely and make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Welcome to Record Store Society, a production of iHeartRadio. Yeah, it depends. Depends on when the show starts versus... Yeah. Also, how but many usually, openers there are, too. You yeah, ever, you ever go to a show, many, there's like five yeah. opening acts, and you don't even know what to yeah. do with yourself with that day? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It just depends. But I think, in general, I tend to get there to watch the opening act. Yeah, I think me, too. It's, it's one of my favorite ways of discovering new artists is, you know, whoever the opening act happens to be. Um, oh, hey. Hi. Uh, welcome to our record store. I'm Seth. This is Tara. Uh, feel free to look around and uh, just give us a shout if you need anything. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I would say the only time I really resent opening acts is when it is like a show that starts at 10 p.m. and there's five opening acts and I'm like doing the math in my head and I'm like, oh, I'm not getting home till 3 a.m. Oh, no. <laughs> this is <laughs> yeah. a bad day. Uh, oh, hey, look, it is John Beeler. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello, how how are you? This is a great story you got. Thank you very much. Uh, John, uh, I mean, I have to say a, a big chunk of this store, and at least a small part is due to you, uh, w- with your job as a label director over at uh, Asthmatic Kitty. And uh, what a fine label that is. I, I love Asthmatic Kitty. Oh, gosh, Seth, that's the... That's the nicest thing somebody said to me all day. Thank you. <laughs> I, I also love it where um, um, on rare occasion, whenever um, you need to pull out like your like uh, um, press release hat, when like there's some big asthmatic kitty news out there in the world. And I do see like your, your name on like the press release where like, it'll be like signed John. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know Wait, that guy. Somebody's signing press releases out there. I, I, I've seen it once wow. or twice where I know okay. that, that this was a John <laughs> Beeler penned press release dealing with Man, news from Asthmatic Kitty, yeah. <laughs> I need to get me a Sharpie and, and up my, my game, I guess. <laughs> Start signing those real big. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, there's, there's, there's good stuff out there. And, uh, you know, I mean, Asthmatic Kitty is uh, probably first and foremost known for uh, Sufjan, but uh, so many other great artists on that label as well. And um, I remember sure. not too long ago, y'all had one of those things where it was like, Hey, give us like 50 bucks and we'll put a bunch of like damaged records in a box for you and send it your way. One of those kind of deals. Yeah. I, I love those deals. Those are always good. What did you get? Do you remember? Let's see. I got some My Brightest Diamond. 
I got some uh, Lily and Madeline, um, or is oh, it Madeline? Nice. How do you say her last name or their names? Uh, you got it right. Okay, yep, good. That's right. And uh, 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 I got a couple of Sufjans, but they were Sufjans I already had. So that's always the thing. <gasps> See, my, 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 my yeah. beef is I, I already own every Sufjan because I love Sufjan. Who doesn't? Anyone who knows of Sufjan loves Sufjan Stevens. So that's the only problem with those blind boxes is that if you're already right. a, a pretty prolific a uh, music collector, a blind box will give you duplicates, but then those just become presents for other people. You know, like That's someone's right. birthday comes around and you forgot about it. I have a little mm-hmm. section in my records of just stuff to give to other people because it's a duplicate. And uh, that's, that's smart. Been, it's been very helpful many times. <laughs> Your own little micro charity record store exactly. inside the record store. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, hey, we were just talking about uh, opening acts and kind of like the pros and cons of the opening act. Uh, uh, John, what's your stance on the opening act of a concert? Oh, man. Well, opening acts... Uh, the best kind are when you go and you buy a drink and you're at the bar and then you kind of turn your head and you're like, <laughs> this is really good. Right. right? Where you discover <laughs> the opening act. I feel like it happens less these days because we all just prolifically research. And, and certainly as I've gotten older, I show up at things less. Like I tend to research more because <laughs> I have less time. Yeah. But back in the old days, you could just, you know, you just kind of like, hey, you want to go to a show? Yeah, let's go to a show. It's like at the Bluebird. It's 10 bucks. Let's go. And you're <laughs> going for the band. But like the opening band would sometimes really surprise you and sometimes be better, right? Right. Uh, for than, sure. Than the band you went to see. Those are the best kind. But those are rare, too. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can probably count on like both hands how many times the opening act that you've never heard of upstaged the main act. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, but it, but it is always amazing to kind of make those discoveries, to see someone you've never seen before, and then you you are kind of blown away by them, and then years later you're like, oh, that was them, that was that yeah. artist that I thought about. Hey, they're pretty good, and then it turns out that hey, it's the Rolling Stones. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I don't think any of us are uh, old enough to have seen a young Rolling Stones. But but the, but the point is the same: is that uh, making yeah. that discovery. And, and so anyway, uh, we we do a game in here, the High Fidelity game, where we uh, count down five of something. And today we're going to do top five shows you saw before they were big. And John, I hope you join Ooh. us for this. Yeah, I'm in on that. I'll, I'll start us off because I've got I've got a real simple one, and I think it kind of like illustrates this point pretty clearly. Um, something that's going to come up a lot in all of my top five is a not knowing when someone is big because I'm, I've never been good at knowing what the mainstream actually thinks. I'm just, I'm not good at that. I often check in <laughs> with my wife. I'm like, hey, Lizzie, do actual people know who Lil Uzi Vert is? And she's like, no. And I'm like, oh, okay, never mind, never mind. And then I have to like, you know, adjust my thinking about what the mainstream is and what the mainstream isn't, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, she's, she's usually my barometer for these things. But um, so I, I think I'll be coming up with a few artists today that are big in my mind, but maybe aren't actually big in the real mainstream. And perhaps mm-hmm. a couple of these, depending upon how you look at it, might've already been big, but I I, I, uh, I I tried to make sure that they didn't have too many albums out already and all that kind of stuff. So uh, starting off with my number five, this would have been around late 2002, early 2003, and this would have been in Portland, Oregon. This was a concert I saw. So the headliner was Beck uh, playing the middle act before Beck was going to be a dashboard confessional. 
And the opening act was this brand new band. They only had uh, one album out so far, and they were called The Black Keys. So uh, a, a funny thing about this show was that Dashboard Confessional dropped out for, quote, financial reasons. So whatever that means. <laughs> like he, what does that mean? What he does had, that mean? He had too what much money. He had not enough money. Maybe like he wasn't getting paid enough. He changed his mind. I I, I don't know. But, but that, that was the quote was Dashboard Confessional has dropped out due to financial reasons. <laughs> What? How many people showed up to the show? Um, it seemed pretty full to me, but um, I think if I probably did the research, perhaps this was a moment. Because um, in 2002, 2003, that's when Chris Caraba and like that whole dashboard scene was blowing up big. Maybe he thought he was bigger than Beck. You know, like maybe that was his vibe at the time. I don't. That's an insane thought for anyone to to, <laughs> to have. But uh, maybe that was his thinking. But, but I remember mm. this. Um, so actually my wife, who, who, her and I, we have known each other for a very, very long time. We went together to this concert back in 2002, 2003, and she was going for Dashboard Confessional. I was going for Beck. And so she was very disappointed because we drove down from Spokane, Washington, down to Portland, Oregon for this show. And uh, yeah, we were just a couple of high school kids. And uh, no, no, she she was not happy that uh, Dashboard Confessional dropped out. But what did end up happening was the Black Keys played a much longer set because they had to kind of like fill the time. And uh, I'd never heard of them before. They only had one album out at the time. It was called The Big Come Up. And um they seemed very white stripesy at the time, of course, because there weren't too many just like, you know, guitarist, lead singer, and one drummer bluesy kind of acts. But um, it was fascinating to see them there and be like, oh, this is forgettable. Moving on with my life. <laughs> and then uh, and then have them actually turn into a real band. Like the, the only thing I remember about that show was that uh, Patrick Carney, their drummer, at one point he was playing the drums with a maraca. And I thought that was really cool because he got kind of like an extra little bit of percussion happening while he was playing the drums. And so I thought that was pretty neat. But that's all my thoughts yeah. about, you know, debut album, barely out there, Black Keys, was he used a maraca. <laughs> that's it. I feel like, uh, so you said this was 2003? Around 2002, 2003. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I saw them at the pilot light and I almost put this on my list too, mm -hmm. but I couldn't remember which show it was. And there was two shows at Pilot Light, one in 2002 and one in 2003. And the mm. 2003 show was for the the Freakness or whatever oh, that one album was. the Thick Freakness. Yeah, thick the second freakness. one. Yeah, yeah, that one came out like halfway through 2003. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I don't know at what level they were at that point, but I have seen right. them. I feel like at one point and they were very small in a very small venue. And I just, yeah, I remember it, but because I don't, remember exactly what show it was at. I felt like maybe it was a bad one to bring up. So I left. Totally. It totally. But they were so great live. I thought. Yeah, no, no, they're, uh, they're, they're a solid band. And especially when you're expecting nothing, that's, that's kind of yeah. all you need. You know, you're, you're going into a show and I'm here for Beck, whoever else happens to be here. Fine. And then you get something that's fully competent that you've never heard of. And, you know, at least at the time, uh, at 2002, 2003, you know, this was still a pretty novel idea of a two-person yeah. band, you know? Oh, sure. Like, other than the White Stripes and Death From Above 1979, there still aren't that many just two-person rock and roll bands, you know? Yeah, and I think they're they're from Ohio, right? 
That uh, sounds right in my head. Maybe yeah. Akron, Ohio. And I was able to meet them because one of my good friends is from Akron, Ohio. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I really don't remember much else except for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally fair. So cool. It's a good one. All right. Moving on to my number four. The year is 2013. So this one's getting pretty recent. This was at a, a wonderful club, which I'm sure both of you have been to, called 529. And uh, this is in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, so the headlining act was Unknown Mortal Orchestra, okay? Which, which first of all, they were way too big to be playing 529, but there it was. The opening act was a group called Wampire, which uh, hadn't had their debut album yet, but it was still I, I still really like them. I think Wampire's a pretty solid band. But the middle act was this little group uh, that had yet to kind of break into the mainstream called Foxygen. But you don't love me, that's news to me. That's news to me. That's news to me. Coincidentally, were either of you, did either of you happen to be at this show? I wasn't. No. Nope. I was not. 529 is a wild little venue. They sometimes have shows that are populated by like two people in the audience. And sometimes it's just people hanging from the rafters, you know, bursting at the seams because they mm-hmm. accidentally book someone like Unknown Mortal Orchestra and it fills the venue out too much. And uh, and that was the case with this show because, yeah, Foxygen wasn't quite famous yet. Maybe they still are. Who knows? <laughs> you know? But, no, they're uh, pretty big, I think. I think so. I, I saw them yeah. in a commercial once. That's usually my indicator yeah. of like, oh, they're mainstream now. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Also, Unimortal- this was before 529 like expanded. Re yeah, they expanded so it was an even tinier venue. Yes, yes, this is old five two nine for sure. Yeah, and um, so yeah, yeah, it was, this was too big for them. And there's there's like a group of locals at five two nine. I used to live next door to this this small club called five two nine, and there's a group of locals that are there like every single day, and they kind of consider it their their hangout spot, no matter what band is playing. Like it's just this is where I am. This is where I drink. And concerts play here sometimes, you know? And so they're they're just there. And then when like the big shows happen there, the locals kind of resent it because they're like, ugh, these people are cluttering up my bar, you know? Like this is where <laughs> I go to drink. What are you doing here? So um basically there were a there was there was a bunch of like scuffles, you know, in the audience. Uh what one of which was between my wife and some other woman who considered my wife's presence there to be egregious for some reason or another. What? I don't remember. It was weird. It was a weird little fight. That is weird. <laughs> and uh but it was great. It was a really, really great show and definitely my favorite five two nine show that I ever saw. Uh Unknown Mortal Orchestra, uh Foxygen and then Vampire as the opener. But yeah, Foxygen is my pick for this one. I cannot imagine Unknown Mortal Orchestra at 529. They shouldn't have been there, but it was great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Moving on to my number three. This was uh, Portland, Oregon. Um, I couldn't find the exact date or any of the details really on this. So I'll, I'm, I'm, this is all going from memory. This was around 2003, Portland, Oregon. And the venue was, at least to my memory... During the daytime and on weekdays, it was a music venue and like an arts performance center. And then on weekends in the evenings, it was a strip club. I think that was the MO. What? And for Portland, Oregon, that sounds spot on, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And um, so, yeah, it was was this weird little club uh, in downtown Portland. 
and uh, who I saw there on one of her uh, first tours before she really made it big, Regina Spector. They made a statue of us And put it on a mountaintop Cool. I can't tell when Regina Spector made it big. I asked my wife this, and she said it was uh, Begin to Hope, which I believe was her like 2005 album or something like that. Like, I don't know. Like, because I associate Regina Spector with like the Moldy Peaches and that whole like anti folk scene, I consider her to be like just as famous as like the Moldy Peaches and Jeffrey Lewis and Diane Cluck, which is clearly not the case, right? Like, she did like songs for like Orange is the New Black and, you know, television commercials yeah. for like Discovery Card or whatever. Like, she's a famous person, right? I would say so. She's like underdog famous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah. So, uh, it was just her by herself with just like maybe even. I don't even remember like there being a real piano. It might've just been like a little electric what? keyboard in front of her. And, oh, and at some point it was really cool. Um, she was playing the song, poor little rich boy, which has like this percussion aspect to it. And there was no drummer or anything with her. So it was literally her with a drumstick in one hand banging on a stool and while her other hand played the piano. And it was just really cool. And, um, wow. In, in addition to that, I thought it was really neat. Her opening act was this uh, guy who went by the name of Only Son, uh, a.k.a. Jack Dishel. And in 2011, so I don't know, eight or nine years later, Regina Spector married that guy. So her opening act, oh. I don't know if they were dating or something, but uh, eventually, like 11 years later, those two got married. There were some cool. romantic shenanigans, for <laughs> right. sure. I wonder, uh, yeah, did they meet on tour? Like, Right. Were there record or were they labels put them together or, or who yeah. knows? Yeah. But, but this guy, he, he is really good. If, if no one uh, knows only son, AKA Jack Dishel, uh, look him up. But, uh, one of the things I thought was so funny, um, you know, you go to a show and you see someone you don't know and they play well. And so you pick up their album afterwards. I went up to him uh, to pick up his CD and I was like, Oh, you're, you're really great. Um, you know, I heard just like from someone in the audience, I was like, Oh, I heard you used to be in like the, uh, um, touring band for the Moldy Peaches. And um, he was like, no, 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 that wasn't me. And then I looked to the left and like, there's a picture of him with the moldy peaches, <laughs> like within a foot of where he just told me that lie. And I'm like, maybe he just didn't want to like take too much credit for like, you know, maybe he's not Kimya Dawson. He's not Adam Green. Maybe he just didn't want to like be the guy taking credit for the moldy yeah. peaches. But uh, I thought it was funny mm. that he was saying that right in front of the picture of him in the moldy peaches. But whatever, whatever. It was cool. <laughs> That's weird. I wonder why you even no. did that. <laughs> I'll <laughs> never know. <laughs> okay, for this next one, I'm not sure if this band ever actually made it that big. They're, they're legendary in my mind, but you two can be my like test on this. You know, okay. let me know if just if yeah, Portland kids we'll just think Portland bands <laughs> are more special than they are. They do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, so, um, I, I would see this group. They were just like the local band that I saw all the time playing all around me all throughout the early 2000s. Uh, and this was a band called Menomina. I mean, they're great. They're a great band. <laughs> is but is Menomina actually famous to anyone other than Portland people though? I don't well, think they're famous. Are they at least like stereo gum famous? <laughs> yeah, stereo gum famous 
Once, for sure. <laughs> at, at different times. Right, right. Um, there's like there's like different levels of famous, right? There's right. like local blog famous, stereo gum famous, pitchfork famous, you know, and then like spin EW, like at that point, <laughs> you know, beyond. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, stereo gum famous is famous enough for me. Yeah, <laughs> I'd say that's their their yeah yeah. And I think so, it works. And so uh, yeah, while, while I was living there, um, they were just the band that was always around. Like if there was ever a local show, they were the one opening. If there was ever you know um, someone doing like a uh, a fundraiser for a local like activity center for after school for kids, they were the ones you know playing a free show uh, along with the other bands that were always there. Uh, there was always Britt Daniel from Spoon. But he was always playing solo because I think the other members of Spoon didn't live in Portland at the time. It was just him. So, uh, Menomina, Britt Daniel from Spoon, and the Thermals. Those three groups were always just playing oh. all the shows locally all around me while I was living there. And they just became like my local bands. Um, the Shins were doing weird stuff at the time too, but uh, the Shins are always hard to pin down. So who knows? What year was this again? Sorry. Oh, this is all throughout the early 2000s. So basically just, uh, picture like... A- yeah, the, 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 the whole era, <laughs> the whole era gotcha. of the end of the 90s up through like 2008. That's when I moved out of Portland. So I lost touch with all my Portland uh, uh, bands and knowledge. <laughs> yeah, anytime I hear that phenomenon, I just want to do the Muppets song. Yeah. Fair enough. That's how they're famous. Yes, exactly. They're Sesame, or they're Muppets famous, Sesame Street. All right. My number one. Uh, This one I'm totally cheating on because this is more of my wife's story than my story, but it's such a good story. And I was there while it was happening. So I'm, I'm, I'm just telling my wife's story at this point because it's, it's, <laughs> at too least good. you were there. That's yeah. What, it I, I was like a, both of your stories, maybe. Exactly. Well, no, she, she was involved. Oh, okay. I was I just the person the who, who was like, a, I, I, I was orbiting the story. Okay. All right. So this would have been around 2009, 2010, okay? Uh, my wife and I were living in Los Angeles. Um, I guess this is before she was my wife, yeah. And uh, she <laughs> was working at this thing uh, called a hagwon. Um, hagwons in uh, Korean culture, it's basically a school that you go to after school. And you do this basically your entire educational career. You start doing it basically at preschool and you stop basically at the end of high school. And so if you're like a high school age kid, you're doing like SAT prep and things like that. And if you're like a, you know, preschool age kid, you're just like getting a little extra, you know, attention for tutoring and whatever, you know? So so anyway, they're called hagwons and uh, there's a very large uh, Korean population in Los Angeles. And so my wife worked at a hagwon in uh, Koreatown in Los Angeles. So anyway, um, obviously uh, there were a lot of people from around there that are a part of the Korean community that go there. But just because they're good programs, all kinds of people just go to Hogwans as, like I said, SAT prep, tutoring, all that stuff. So she's there, and she's there for a year or two, and she's uh, always she always has stories about the kids, you know, funny things they do, things they say, etc., etc., etc. And she keeps telling me about this one guy. His name's Tebe, and he keeps like getting in trouble. Like, um, 
his mom's always like putting him down and like saying that he needs to like, you know, focus on school and blah, blah, blah. But he has like this like group of friends that he's running around with, but he keeps kind of getting in trouble with them. And he put out this album. This is all while he's still in high school. And it had like all these like subject matter and words that his mom didn't approve of. And she was like, no, you know, we need to fix this right now, Tebe. This isn't, this isn't okay. So anyway, I've heard, I heard these stories just like through my wife, you know, just like I heard stories about, you know, dozens of other kids that she worked with at this after-school program in Koreatown. And um, so anyway, years later, so I guess like two years later, so around 2011, um, I was watching, uh, let's see, Late Night with with Jimmy Fallon is what the show would have been. And uh, Odd Future, Wolfgang, Kill Them All was on. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, hey, Lizzie, check this out. This is their their like TV debut and it's a really great performance. Here, watch this. And she's like, wait, what are they called? I'm like, oh, it's, it's a funny name. It's Odd Future, Wolfgang, Kill Them All. And there's a bunch of them involved and, you know, all these different people. And she's like, wait a minute, isn't that Tebe's group? And I'm like, oh, Tebe is Earl Sweatshirt. Something sinister to it. Pendulum swinging slower, degenerate moving through the city with criminal stealth. Welcome. Oh, I was like, who is this person? Exactly. Who Where could it have been? Where is this story going? Was this, was this a Frank Ocean? <laughs> was this a taco? Was this Tyler, the creator? Who was, it was this? It was Earl Sweatshirt. Wow. And, and, so, and so this actually did f- kind of like feature into like the overall story of his career too. Because if you guys remember... More or less what happened is uh, Earl Sweatshirt put out his first mixtape. It got a bunch of attention, but he's a high school kid. So his mom was like, fuck mm-hmm. this shit. You cannot be doing this. <laughs> like this, this mm-hmm. what you're doing and saying, I, as a responsible adult, cannot let you do these things. So she actually sent him off, I believe, to Samoa to continue his schooling over there when it didn't what? work out. And then there was this whole thing about like free Earl Sweatshirt, where it was like this whole movement where like Odd Future was like, gaining momentum and actually becoming like, you know, what they are now, very famous. And Earl didn't get to be a part of it for the first couple of years because his mom had like shipped him off to like go somewhere else and not be not be a part of this. And then even longer story short, basically Tupac's original manager went to Samoa, got him, brought him back. And I believe she's still his manager to this day. <laughs> Something like that. Wow. Weird That's stuff. That's crazy. But uh, that is one way to make sure you're manager for a while. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but uh, you saved my rap career. <laughs> but, but Lizzie would always like tell me these stories that were so funny. Where like you know, I, I, as I know him now, Tebe Earl Sweatshirt, um, he would like be like, oh yeah, so my, my group were doing this and my group were doing that, and hey, I released I released a, 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 a mixtape, and she'd be like, cool, you know, great, <laughs> and just you know, like metaphorically just like patting him on the head for this. <laughs> No, like oh not gosh. knowing that that, that what, he's like a lyrical genius and that he would go on to be very very important so yeah like wow. i said that's, that's cool that's more that's my story more of my wife's story than my story my my only role in it was i was the receiver of her stories and then i showed her the performance on um uh late night with jimmy fallon and that's when she put them both together when she heard the funny name <laughs> so that's it hmm. yeah that's cool hmm. Well, that concludes my top five. Um, this is subject is, can be so broad, like like how <laughs> yeah. we determine fame, 
when we saw them, where they are now, all that stuff. So I can't wait to hear both of your lists because I think they're going to all going to be pretty diverse. I don't think I don't think any of us are going to overlap, probably. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll find I, out. I love the idea of what is fame? Like, who is famous? Right. Like, I'm also like you, Seth. I'll, there's a movie coming out. And I'll be like, we've got to get tickets. We've got to be there an hour early. Like someone, yeah. even though they're assigned seats, like we got to be there. Right. And then we walk into the theater and it's like crickets, you know? And, oh yeah. Uh, I, I do that all critically the time. Acclaimed, yeah. right. no, like, like, it, critically Lee, acclaimed. Yeah. Right. No, this is critically acclaimed. John acclaimed. In my so, head yeah. right now, it's going to be really hard to see the new Wes Anderson. You know, it's like, oh man, we got to find a oh, theater yeah. that's oh, playing yeah. it. It's going to be so good. Everyone's itching to go see this movie. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure I'm sure I'll find a theater just fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't wait to hear John's list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here, let's take a little break. I'm going to put my records back. John, you uh, go around the store, gather up yours. And right. uh, yeah, we will we'll, we'll keep this going. Hey, I'm Lilia Luciano, the host of El Flow, a podcast about reggaeton. Every movement has an origin story, a myth about how it all started. This is true of revolutions, countries, celebrities, and musical genres. Reggaeton is no different. And although we identify reggaeton today as part of the beat-thumping soundtrack to our lives, not a lot of people know the history of how it all started. In this podcast, we're going to hear from iconic artists and producers to give you the whole story about how reggaeton went from the underground to dominating the mainstream with all the conflict and drama along the way. It's a story that includes war, drugs, censorship, sex, of course, perreo, my grandmother, and hell, even the CIA. Listen to El Flow starting October 11th as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, friends. I'm Hector Navarro. And I'm Frankie Grande. We're your hosts for SpongeBob Binge Pants, Nickelodeon's podcast celebrating all things SpongeBob Universe. We have the privilege that not many SpongeBob fans get. This being an official Nickelodeon podcast, we get to interview the brilliant humans behind the names we've all been reading in those credits for over 20 years. This is a podcast by fans for fans. Listen to SpongeBob Binge Pants on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My best friend is an Irish heiress. She was royalty from Ireland. Had a huge inheritance. We're talking $30 million. But it turns out Mayor Smith is actually an international con artist. And police are hunting for her. She's left a trail of devastation in her wake. This is not normal to be outside her place. I would rather die than let her get away. Listen to Queen of the Con every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we are playing the High Fidelity game. Our, our subject for the day is top five shows you saw before they were big. Our guest today, we got we got John Beeler here shopping in the store, and he is the label director at Asthmatic Kitty. Are, are you going to cheat at all and use people that are on the label that you work for? Um, <laughs> you don't have to answer. You don't have to answer. Here. I'll just be thinking that through as you no go through spoilers. your list. <laughs> uh, so, but, but yeah, kick us off. What's, what's your number five? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, these are not in any particular order of like, they're just 
they're in an order, but they're not <laughs> like fine. Yeah. famousness. They're just in an order. Totally. So the one that I would start off with uh, was, um, have you all ever been to South by Southwest? I have not. It's, 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 it's a sad point in my life that I've never been there. It's it's kind of a shit show. Are we allowed to swear in the record store? Yes. Is that okay? It is okay. Oh, yeah. Yes, there are rarely We're children heathens. in this store. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a real shit show. And it's a beautiful, wonderful, writhing mess of humanity every year. Um, I love it to death. I haven't been in a long time. But the first year I went was South by Southwest, 2007. And it just hit me like you're like a little kid at a wave pool when the first wave hits and you mm. just get bowled over. Like there's just so much sensory overload. So that was the state I was in. There's a ton of drinking, there's drugs, there's you're staying up late, nobody's sleeping, you're sleeping on couches. So you're not really getting any sleep anyway. But there was a show that... I had to go to, and there were a couple of reasons for it. So there was a, 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 a an individual that had played in Sufian's Illinois Makers Band. And so I was going to go anyway. The person that I went with was working for the label. And we were like, we got to go to this. But it was like, it was like the hangover shift. It was like the time at South by Southwest that is unofficial. There's all kinds of unofficial showcases that happen in the periphery of South by Southwest that are like off the flyer. Like they're like, they're just really there to get pressed there or like to drum up like, and it's usually before release. And in this particular instance, we had to take like, this was pre Uber. So we had to take a taxi out there to this warehouse district and we show up and there's maybe like 15 people, some of whom I recognize, some of whom I don't just sitting outside and they finally let us in. And it's like, Nine or ten in the morning, uh, the sunlight streaming in through these broken warehouse windows. And in the middle of this massive warehouse is Annie, St. Vincent, waiting for us with a guitar, her guitar pedals, like the board, and an amp. That's it. just 15 of us and her album hadn't come out yet she you know her and i have talked over the years but we're not friends like she probably wouldn't remember me so but like she kind of recognized me and the person i was with and we walk in and like somebody from the label or whatever like came up and said hey this is saint vincent i hope you enjoy and she just (laughs) rocks out like i've never seen a show like that ever since i probably never will again like Mm -hmm. her proficiency is of course through the roof, one of the most accomplished and practiced guitarists of our generation for sure. Mm-hmm. But seeing her so ra- like raw and like no band, just her with her pedals and her guitar, I'll never forget it. And it fit like the sound was both terrible and amazing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. it was echoing everywhere and like sounded like shit, but it just is I'll never forget it. And so a couple months later her her album came out, like at the end of March, Beggars announced that she'd signed to them and like, I just remember walking out just being like, holy shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was like just seeing, like, you just knew in that instant, you know, right. that you'd seen something special. And that was the whole point of it. But, like, it was just the audacity and the bravado of it. Like, all we got to do is throw Annie in the middle of this warehouse with a guitar and an amp. And a, that's all we'll need to do. Like, 
it was just like music, you know, it was, it was such a special moment. Um, I'll never forget it. That's killer. So that's the first one. Um, I wonder if she's trying to like recreate that now with those shows where it is just her. Because when I saw her, she had a hmm. band and I really enjoyed it and she still rocked out and it was great. But I've heard that her shows now where it's just her aren't as good, but it sounds like you hmm. had a much more like less produced show of just her hmm. kind of a thing. Yeah. And I don't know that that kind of show scales like it worked yeah. because of the context and it worked because, you know, but, but if you're paying like upwards a hundred dollars a ticket, probably to see Vincent St. Vincent, if not more to walk into that and, you know, you'd probably be disappointed. I mean, it was free for us because it was just like a yeah. press chunk kind of thing. Yeah, maybe she is though. I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to capture that spark again in, mm-hmm. a, in a kind of a, a career that's much more developed and articulated. And so, I mean, she yeah. her her whole persona is different now. That it, I mean, it's much more calculated and mm-hmm. and I think it's much more of an artistic statement. I mean, she was just wearing like jeans and a t shirt or something, you know. <laughs> so um, it was it was incredible. She was actually almost going to be on my list as well because I thought about two times when I saw her before I knew it was St. Vincent, before I knew the name Annie Clark. And that's, um, I saw her once back when she was still playing with the Polyphonic Spree because everyone oh, played yeah. the Polyphonic Spree. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I mean, I did. Exactly. Did. Everybody did. <laughs> and then also, um, wasn't she in uh, Sufjan's backing band for the Illinois Makers, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So, so, yeah, so yeah, like, sure was. I didn't know that until years later after I got her debut album. And then people were talking about that, like, in the news and in the reviews. And then I was like, oh, I, I remember seeing her but not actually knowing who she was you know what i mean like someone saying like oh yeah she was in the illinois makers like oh well i saw that tour so i guess i saw her (laughs) you know yeah yeah and i don't have any you know inner insight into this but i'm sure that her and sufian are still yeah i'm sure they still talk and share music or i don't know but maybe they don't i don't know i have no idea but (laughs) um i mean i remember i was backstage at uh prospect park in brooklyn for uh an age of odd show and and they were definitely still budding it up then as well so um i would assume they're they're still good friends and um yeah the illinois makers birthed a lot of good music people out of that little run for sure there's like a, a nice fun like um almost like um descending kind of like evolutionary thing too, where it's like, you know, obviously Sufjan had a lot of uh, background with um, the Danielson family, you know? So like you, uh, you watch mm-hmm. that really incredible Danielson family documentary and about halfway through, you just start seeing Sufjan a bunch. And then eventually mm-hmm. like he like just becomes so big that the documentary can't ignore it. <laughs> and they have to just right. like, dedicate right. like 15 to 20 minutes just about Sufjan and like, you know, how that affects things. And then Danielson like, almost like trying to be as big as the guy who was in his band. And it's this whole, it's a whole thing. It's, it's fun and interesting, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, my number two um, is maybe less unknown, um, but it, it kind of captures a moment in independent music time that I think is important. And uh, I'll go ahead and say outright, it was um, Interpol in like 2002, 2003, um, in Cincinnati, their first tour for their first record. 
And they hit, I don't know if you remember, but that album just hit like a, a rock, but in the best way. It was just like, yeah. like a superhero landing and just everybody was listening to it. Yeah. Everybody had the record. Yeah. Everybody was going to the shows and there was no it was real. It so good. Yeah. And it was just like. Like you hear it of, the first time, you're like, I freaking love this record. Like. I know. It's I, like seconds. I, I rarely have on. feelings like that these days. It's yeah. so good. Yeah, and I, I think that we've gotten into a anyway, we can talk about this, but I think we've gotten into a spot where, you know, it's just maybe part and parcel of we're all internet eyes, but yeah. it's very difficult to drop a band like that now and it just all of a sudden becomes something um, because it's all pre-research and people build buzz and blah, blah, blah. But at least with Interpol, it was like all of a sudden it went from zero to 60 for them. And so the show that I went to in Cincinnati was right in that moment before... Um, like there were definitely, it was definitely not a small venue, but it also was not as full as it should have been. So it was like one of these instances where we showed up early. We drove from Indianapolis to Cincinnati. We were there like two or three hours early. We didn't need to be, we were down front. And for me, this has special meaning because I was right by the speaker and I ended up getting like severe tinnitus. That's a whole other story. (laughs) Yeah, it was really bad. It was terrible. I actually had like we we don't need to go into this but i had like a like severe tinnitus for like six weeks and i eventually just stuck my my finger and pulled out this big disgusting thing yeah it was (laughs) disgusting we won't go into it yeah i'll never forget that show for that reason but also it was a fucking good show it was so good like they just hit all the notes that you want when you've listened to an album over and over again for mm-hmm. the first time and you're just kind of on that wave and then you go see the band cause they're touring right then and it just like strikes hot. Yeah. It was such a good show. I love that band. I'll, I'll never forget that album. Like it just kind of defined independent music in a way that it's, it's hard to categorize, I think. And I was trying to think like, what's the newest group that has had a success similar to that? And like the world is so splintered now that I, I can't even think of something. Cause like e- e- even these moments where like a band will be hot for like a minute, it's not the same. They're like TikTok hot or they're like, you know, oh, maybe, maybe band camp hot, you know, <laughs> like, and for like a day and then, and then, and then it moves on. Like, like, I can't remember the last time everyone had an album that we all shared and all agreed that, Hey, this is something special. We're all loving this right now. I mean, I, yeah, we all, I feel like that album and The Strokes both like kind of popped mm-hmm. off at the same time sure. and started a whole new movement. And so I can't think of anything that other, that a group of like-minded people enjoy that started a movement or like kicked off some sort of movement. Definitely not but, in like the yeah. last decade. Yeah, not that I but I do of. feel like tons of people love that Olivia Rodrigo record right now. And I don't, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so many people love it right now. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> it, went, it went so quick. Like there was no, there's no. It did, it's like blew you go up. from unknown to BTS, you know, and being like yeah. a quarter percentage of the GDP. Like there's, it's not like Interpol <laughs> went from, you know, like obviously there was a time period where they were working ahead of that album drop. But, you know, I think it also speaks to that period of time when we were all reading pitchfork and mm-hmm. like a pitchfork review really mattered. Right. And 
you know, it's not like it doesn't matter anymore, but you know, let's be honest. Like, it matters it less. It doesn't matter the same way it does, it did back then for sure. Yeah. And that's true for Sufian's career. I, I mean, he made his, they, all these bands make their own success, but there was like a, it was a little bit of king making going on, but it was well deserved on that record for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And and also, I think there's perhaps a consensus of kingmakers too. You know, like yeah. when NPR says like the new Sufjan is great, and Pitchfork says the new Sufjan is great. Hey, you just got yourself two demographics. You know, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the, the, there there goes a bunch of album sales. And then, oh, yeah. I don't know, uh, with another artist, hypothetically, you know, you also get yourself. Oh, yeah, I was going to say an MTV thing but who, who gives a shit about mt like obviously that mtv isn't real anymore so yeah. what is that other who are the kingmakers now maybe anthony fantano maybe oh, i don't think so me either he's no. i mean no no offense to youtubers he's just a youtuber you know yeah so i, I don't even know like like, like the, is there one is there a kingmaker in the music industry right now and i can't think of one no weird that's very weird to me Oh, well, <laughs> I, mean, I think that you see like, uh, like I'm kind of watching, it's a little different, but like Phoebe Bridgers didn't mm-hmm. necessarily come out of nowhere, but that's, that's the difference is that we can chart back. Right. Um, Lucy DeKaus, I think that's another example of an artist that didn't necessarily come out of nowhere, but she's doing really well. And, yeah. And she's one of those artists. Like if I, I tried, she's going to be here in Atlanta. I tried to get tickets to see her show. I can't, they're sold out. Wow, good for but her. If you see her show in the next month or two, like you can say you saw her before she's big. She's going to be huge. Right. So mm-hmm. I think it's still happening, but it doesn't feel quite the same. And I don't, I don't know why. I, I think maybe, and I'm not sure, I have nothing to back this up whatsoever. It's got something more to do with the content you create, making instances of recognizability to an audience multiple times in different ways. So going back to Phoebe Bridgers, for example, it was her creating content that put her in front of you so many times that you couldn't help but pay attention. You know, like she she had a great uh, debut album. Mm -hmm. People liked her for that. Then she had uh, Better Oblivion Community Center, that group with uh, Connor Oberst. And then it's like, oh, okay, I guess maybe I should check her out. You know, Connor co-signs for her, maybe there. And then she had her... um, uh, super group with, uh, let's see, uh, Julian Baker and Lucy Dacus, uh, Boy mm-hmm. Genius. And that that was great, too. And it's like, oh, gosh, Phoebe Bridgers just keeps being in front of me. Oh, she's on SNL this week? Oh, uh, David Crosby is mad at her? You know, <laughs> like, like right. all these things just happen back to back to back to back, where even if you don't like her music, you are at least fully aware of who she is compared with other artists. You've made a, you've made a decision about an artist yeah. because it's like the goldfish effect that just fills the bowl and the bowl expands very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so you either have to make a decision about her one way or the other, or an artist, not just her, but you know, when an artist gets big, they get big quickly and you have to make a decision about whether you like that artist or not, because that's part of your identity, blah, 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 you got to tweet about it, whatever. <laughs> and then it's over um, one way or the other. They're either big or they're not and you care or you don't. Right. And the world spins on. And then you die. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're done. Thanks everybody. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> Uh, I don't even know how we got here. What, what were we talking about? Well, <laughs> we got a little feels. Let me move my next one. Okay. Um, this one, they never got. This is where Seth, you and I would uh, share in our uh, fluctuating definitions of bigness. Mm-hmm. 
So there was a show where we showed up super early because we thought it would be packed. This was in Indianapolis, and I can't even remember the venue, but it's long gone. And this band showed up. They were supposed to have an opening band. The opening band flaked out, which is maybe a sign. But the band was called The Wrens. Oh. It was the best fuck. And there were 20 of us at the show, and it was the best fucking show I've ever been to because they just played their hearts out. Like, I was should have gotten big you know so this is like my little like side one where they should have gotten big but they didn't really like yeah. just to be honest they really they, they didn't got stereo gum big yeah they got stereo gum big and but they should have been bigger you know they should have been yeah they deserve a lot more than in my opinion than 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 they got mm-hmm. um because the the record was so good like the metal lens record was so good the shows they just played so well and and you know that sound is coming back. Like it's, it's Phoebe Bridgers represents that sound a lot. I mean like snail mail, like there's all these kind of like that, that very particular sound is, is, is not only coming back, it's being improved upon, but the Wrens deserve a big chunk of that recognition for sure. And they should have been big because Holy shit. That show was so good. They, they got there and played for like two hours. There are 15 or 20 of us. We're holding our beers, just cheering our hearts out as they step off stage and we're like encore, encore. Like it's just silly because there's they're sitting. There's nowhere to go. This venue was so small. There's yes. no green room. So they're like sitting at the bar, looking at each other, and we're just like continuing to cheer, just like 15 people. Like right. And we're just cheering, cheering, cheering. And they just kind of look at each other, just clink their beers, and come back on stage and play for a full other hour. It was so great. That's wonderful. Um, yeah. So, but they should have been big. So that's my number three. That's great. I, I also love those awkward moments where. Um, an encore it, like the encore is just a strange thing in it the sure world is. like oh, it's so sure. strange because like sometimes it's so um fabricated that it just doesn't <laughs> feel very good and sometimes yeah. the group just doesn't want to do an encore because they feel like they've yeah. they've finished their show and they're right they shouldn't do yeah. an encore like they've given us exactly what needed to be done for this piece of art to exist um, I remember this one time on their parentheses tour, I went to a Seguros show and they did a show and it was fantastic. And like, you know, so much energy, so much liveliness and clearly very like planned out where like the last track on the album was the last track that they played and it like ended like a show, like a show, Ooh. you know? And so anyway, mm-hmm. so the audience was all clapping and like, please, 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 more, more, encore, encore. And uh, this was in Seattle and obviously they're from Iceland. So I don't know if like maybe there's a cultural difference. I don't know. Um, so the the audience wouldn't go away. You know, they turned the lights on, blah, blah, blah. The audience just wanted more of this perfect Suguros show. And so the whole band just came out front bowed again <laughs> and then left again <laughs> and they were like is this a stage call like our curtain call like what 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 do you want from us and i was very grateful i was grateful that they didn't play anymore because i thought they really did end it like perfectly so um i i don't know like the whole concept of encores is just a strange strange thing and i i don't know if if that many people handle it very well yeah i once saw the cure live and they did a four encores yeah and it, didn't and it was already like an extremely long show but every time it was like what's gonna be in this encore like how can <laughs> it get any better 
And they finally yeah, played the it, cure, uh, the song from The Crow, right? Yes. Yeah. That was an encore, like number three or four. Yeah. I was just like, <laughs> oh my God, I can't like, this keeps getting better and better. And I don't know how they, like how. That's yeah. so cool. So sometimes I think those are great, but yeah, sometimes it's like you saved all the heavy hitters for right at the end. We're feeding your ego by clapping. I remember one time, uh, this would have been quite a while ago, I went to go see a Foo Fighters concert. Um, this probably would have been like Learn to Fly era, which would have been around maybe 2002. Ugh, I, I, all these numbers are just somewhere in my head. Who knows? Um, so anyway, uh, they were up there, they were playing a show, and then uh, people in the audience were chanting for them to play Everlong. And they're like, oh, we'll play Everlong. But that's our last song of the night. So oh, wow. we could play it right now if you want. We could all just go home early. Or do you want it more oh. show? Wow. And I think the audience was kind of split 50-50. <laughs> right? like, yeah, let's do that. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, they're and like, then, that's all we want. But then they, they continued to be strange. But I thought this was actually very funny. Around the point where they would get off the stage for an encore and then come back. Uh, this is like after they played Everlong. They were like, oh, and hey, at this point in the show, this is when we would normally go off the stage, pretend we weren't coming back, and then we'd come back, we'd play a couple <laughs> more songs. Let's just pretend we already did that, okay? Because we're already Let's out here. Stay. We're already set up. Let's just pretend that we left the stage. Ready? We can all just close our eyes for a second if that makes it easier. Ready? Close your eyes. And we're back. Yay. Uh, so <laughs> and then and then they did their encore. And I was like, good for you. You know, you're <laughs> you're 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 keeping us honest. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> that feels very real. Yeah. I like that, to be honest. I love I love thinking about the moment though, if you're an artist that's you know, the momentum is upward to to have that first mm-hmm. time where you're unprepared for it. Yeah. You know, it must be a really yeah. special feeling, right? Where you're, you're like, like, what? They want more? You're walking off stage and you're like, I mean, I kind of figured this would happen, but I guess it happened. And what do I do? Like, how do I plan <laughs> yes. for it? And, you know, by the time you get to Foo Fighters or whatever, it's well baked into the set Oh, list yeah. I, I'm, I'm yeah. sure they use that same speech every night yeah. of the concert. Yeah. Sure. yeah. <laughs> or like, they're I, like, I, nice I've always guy, wanted to right? know, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, like I've always wanted to know, like, what is that? What does that moment feel like the first time that yeah. you get a genuine encore? And there's probably like uh, 50 to 100 people, and you just blow it out of the water. You know that you did, and or maybe you don't. I don't know. I've just always been <laughs> interested in the first encore. Totally. Yeah. 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 I was going to say the Foo Fighters, that's their like nice guy approach to encores since they're like the nice <laughs> right. guys of rock or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like when uh, Kristen Stuttered was on here recently, yeah. we were talking about how, yeah, like, you know, of course they're going to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Of course they're going to play the induction ceremony. <laughs> of course. Yeah. They're, they, they are America's last rock band, you know, because huh. everyone remembers the Foo Fighters. If someone's mm-hmm. like, hey, who's who's America's last rock band? Someone's going to go Imagine Dragons. And then our parents won't know oh, what the boy. fuck we're talking about. But yeah. people writ large still know who the Foo Fighters are and the Foo Fighters are still out there playing rock and roll music, you know? This is God off topic, them. but now I think there's that other band who's like the Led Zeppelin young Oh, band. Greta Van Fleet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now they're probably like the... Yeah, but but here's here's my big question. Other than knowing that they're a Led Zeppelin ripoff, no offense, Greta Van Fleet. <laughs> no offense, Greta Van Fleet. Oh, that's, even their band name's hard to say. Other than knowing that they're a Led Zeppelin ripoff. Can you name one Greta Van Fleet song or an album? I can't, but that's just not, that's just not my 
sound. I've never met anyone for, that but... likes them as like a as like a fan of the band. Everyone I yeah. know of them just knows them as a novelty at this point. But maybe I'm yeah. wrong. I'm, I could be wrong. I've seen them on TikTok because uh, mm. I get served many music things. And I honestly, I'm like, oh, well, I can see the appeal, actually. They seem like a very talented young band, yeah. but- Led Zeppelin's um, good. <laughs> I like yeah. Led Zeppelin. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they're not exactly like Led Zeppelin, but they're mm. definitely influenced by it and you can tell. I, I'm probably um, being rude. So I should listen our... to this band. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I never really listened to them until I saw those TikToks. So I, I finally got, finally got it. That's but cool. I still wouldn't listen to them regularly mm. or anything. But yeah, now we're totally off topic. Yes, <laughs> sorry, John. Please continue. With your list. Missed, we missed their show, their their show before they were big. So right, yeah. <laughs> um, my number four. I guess I'm going in reverse or backwards or whatever. <laughs> my number four was Andrew Bird. In 2005, right as Mysterious Production of Eggs had come out. Mm. And I was at the end of that tour in Bloomington, Indiana. We drove down um, kind of on a whim to Second Story, which I don't even know if that venue exists anymore. It was a wild show. It was packed, <laughs> but it was a small venue. So it was probably like 150 people, but like sweaty, uh, crowded, like loud. And Andrew Bird was frenetic. Like, I can't describe. Like, so I've since learned because his manager is the manager of My Brightest Diamond. So I've been able to ask her, like, okay, can we talk about this show I went to like a decade ago or more? Like, I just wanted to ask you some questions about it. Mm -hmm. It turns out it was at like the end of his, his, that, that first tour and things were just the taking off. The Bowl of Fire thing? Uh, yeah, but like he had been like obviously experienced some level of success with um, the squirrel nut zippers and so forth, but and bowl of fire. Wait, um, what was he in that? Was he in squirrel nut zippers? What? Hold on, you're about to explode my brain here for a second. <laughs> yeah, he played violin in Squirrel Nut Zippers what? for sure. Yeah. I did Shut not the know front that. Front door. I That's, had yes. no freaking clue. That's pretty oh funny. Oh my god. So I, you said it with such certainty. I was like, wait a minute, did I, did I get that wrong? But yeah, sure enough, he did. So that's funny. Oh, so wow. Andrew Bird is to the squirrel nut zippers what Owen Pallet is to Arcade Fire. Good to know. <laughs> right, that's true. Holy yeah. moly. I, I mean, I listened to Mysterious Production of Eggs so much. We discovered sure. it at a record store, not unlike this one. Uh, and seeing him at that show was like, like he was just making all kinds of jokes that people didn't get that were like too smart for all of us. <laughs> But he thought was funny. Like, I almost <laughs> wanted to say like he was on some kind of like cocaine or something. Although I, I know that he wasn't. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. it was wild. And I was this at the Egyptian room. At no, the so it Center? was like the Egyptian room is pretty big. It was music um, at Mill? second story oh. in in Bloomington. Hmm. And I like I think after the show, I went to the bathroom and he was like he walked up and we, we took a piss next to each other, like not on oh purpose, but like, right. yeah. And I was like, I did this stupid fan thing where I was like, ah, oh, Andrew, like I'm literally pissing, like breaking all the rules. I'm like, that was a great show. And he was just like, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what he said. like, I don't know what kind of comeback you have to an annoying fan that's talking to you while you're taking a piss. But it just like, he was, he was off the charts. It was wild. The show was amazing. It was frenetic and, and just, just, like 
like bursting with energy, like just the seams were coming loose, you know? And we went to see him not even six or seven months later at a bigger venue and the magic was gone. <laughs> like Aww. it actually soured me to Andrew Bird because I went, you know, you go to those kind of shows and you're like, you want to get that magic again. You want right. to feel it again. And by this time, you know, he had a backup band. It was just him at second story. He didn't even have a band with him. Um, and the next time we saw him, like it was a sit down venue. So everybody's sitting down like it was and he'd hit that NPR crowd, too. So they're not going to be mm-hmm. like the drinks were like it went from like Jack and Coke to like, you know, like white wine, like Chardonnay. Yeah. Crowd, yeah. You know, and yeah. And, I, you know, I've always appreciated his music since then, but that was just a special show and a special moment in time. And I love the freneticism that comes from those kind of tours that suck the energy out of artists to where they have nothing left but fumes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, that's a, that's an interesting, uh, well, the latter part of your experience is interesting. The, I mean, well, no, all parts are experience uh, of your experience are interesting, but um, I saw him in 2002 at this Whoa. place, which is, and I didn't include him because I didn't think he was like, Big, <laughs> right? I mean, he's, he's NPR big. That's pretty big, he's right? In, you're right. He's NPR. I mean, right. in 2002. Yeah. I mean, at 2005 when we saw him, it was just a hundred. Like it was sold out, but it was not a like it was a hundred to 150 person venue. It was not. Yeah, not big yet. So I saw him at this place called the Fairbanks, which at the time was like a little cafe that only people who worked at this bank would go to, and it wasn't even like wow. a real venue. Like I don't even I don't think that many shows were there. Uh, Most of the shows happening in Knoxville at this size were at the pilot light. But um, he was barefooted. He wasn't wearing any shoes. Uh, I think um, uh, this guy, Summer Waters, who supposedly is the nephew of, uh, 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 what's his face, Waters director, John Waters. Oh, John Waters. Something like that. He played cello, but Andrew Bird played, it was Andrew Bird's Bowl of Fire, um, and it was so good. And we were all like all in the same level as him. He just had like a, a, a floor rug out and he was barefoot and singing. And we were all right there, like face to face with him. And it was wow. crazy. And then the next time I saw him was at Big Ears at like 2000, in like 2016. And it was definitely a sit down now white wine kind of crap. But <laughs> the set was so moving like emotionally charged kind of moving. Um, It was really, really good. It was so, it was so wild to have these like two totally different experiences, kind of like yours, but not as good. It sounds like, cause you had such a rockin' time the first time. (laughs) Yeah. Did you, did you take a piss next to him? (laughs) No, I didn't. I mean, I think a lot of it too was (laughs) the energy of a college town Lots of yeah. drunk, tipsy people and him just being at the end. It was the last show of the tour. So there's a lot of variables that go into that. But it sounds mm-hmm. like the energy was kind of an Andrew Birdian kind of freneticism. I find myself with shows like that and the Wrens and Interpol and St. Vincent, I find myself chasing the dragon. You know, like I don't go yeah. to shows as much as I used to. But every time when I walk into a show, I'm hoping that I get that same experience again. That kind of like... Oh shit! <laughs> and it, yeah, 
It just doesn't happen yeah. as often. Um, and that just is probably a game of numbers. Like I don't go to shows as much as I used to. And um, I'm just now getting to the point now with kids where my kids are old enough that I can kind of take them to like an all ages venue or something like that. And, mm-hmm. and I'm hoping that I can pass that on to them, that kind of like specialness of that show. But sometimes it seems like it's, it's hard to get to those, those artists anymore, like to see one of those shows again. I don't, Mm-hmm. Do shows exist where you see where there's like only 20 people there and the band doesn't suck? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think you it's know? rare, but I think it still yeah. exists. I, I always think yeah. of it like drugs where it's like, <laughs> if you go to a lot of concerts, it's like doing a lot of drugs and basically <laughs> you're, right. you are chasing that high and you probably will yeah. never get it again. You know, like yeah. it has to be a particularly potent batch, <laughs> you know? <laughs> No, I think you can, and and you do this a lot too, where you are reading music things or you go to a festival or something and you read about the acts that you've just never heard of. Mm -hmm. I had this thing before where I read about, um, oh shoot, of course I forget her name right as I need to say it, Aldous Harding. Mm -hmm, Yeah. Um, Uh, yeah. And I was like, she's on 4AD, like she's got to be good. She's on 4AD. So I went and saw Uh her at Primavera. But it was like one of these stages that no one ever went to because it wasn't a main act sort of thing. And it was just her and it was insane. But also she's not bigger. I would have put this on my list. But yeah, it's like those things where you maybe you read about something and it sparks your interest. And you're like, oh, they're playing. Maybe I'll just go check it out. And then you're, you're like the only person that read that article or something like, you know, <laughs> right. there's like 20 people there. Right. And you're, you're yeah. like, did they read the article too? Like, how do they know about this? This is so good. Yeah. And then yeah, the next time you're like, are you see... y'all seeing this? Are y'all seeing this? Like... <laughs> yeah. And the next time I saw her was at the Earl and it wasn't the same. It oh, wasn't as good. Yeah. So yeah, you, you do. You just, you have that experience that one time where it's so intimate to you and special to you. And then it's like, well, I, I don't have that anymore with this artist, but I will still keep going to her shows. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely the thing that we've lost, I think, over the pandemic is certainly live shows, but also the opportunity or chance or the lottery, uh, whatever you want to call it, that it's going to happen, that we're going to get that moment again. I mean, obviously, big shows are fun, too, in their own Mm -hmm. way. But but I am, you know, I am always kind of chasing the dragon every time I go to a show where I'm like, maybe this is the one that's going to be like that one show. And so, yeah. Um, you'll find it again. I'll find it again. Pray for me, y'all. Pray was it? What was that number? Number four? Oh, that was four. Number five. So it's this like predates uh, a lot of like recorded information because I'm that old, but also <laughs> it's so long ago um, that it like predates Gmail. So I was a big fan of this band called Half Anna Cloud. So Seth, there's your record label mentioned there. Uh, a guy named gentleman named John Ringhofer is on mm-hmm. the record and he does like absolutely by far some of the most brilliant music you'll hear, but it also is, is presented with a lot of like pretty heavy handed, no pun intended, like Sunday <laughs> school ask deep theological messages about God and Christianity that, that probably puts off a lot of people, but it shouldn't because his music is, fucking brilliant and it was as brilliant then as it is now so we're going to the show we're driving up from chattanooga tennessee to knoxville tennessee hello tara (laughs) it's like maybe 2002 2003 i don't know maybe even before that i think it was like 2002 and i don't even remember the venue 
there's like three or four of us and we get there. It's one of those circumstances, Seth, where we show up early uh, and we didn't need to. We're literally the only people there. So we kind of hang around. We talk to John for a while. It's like a small kind of coffee shop, like rinky dink little place, like storefront. Um, and we pull. And so John's like, OK, well, I have a friend who's opening for me. He's probably going to play something. Um, so please enjoy. And then I'll come back on. Um, and so we're like, OK, cool. So we're waiting for this opener to come on <laughs> and we pull up this couch, like this ratty ass, like thrift store couch that you remember from these kind of venues that maybe these venues don't even exist anymore. But we pull this couch up. It's just us. And this guy comes out on stage, kind of good looking guy, but like we don't get a good look at him. He comes up, doesn't even stand in front of the mic, turns his back to us, plays like two or three songs on guitar and then says, thank you. And walks off. Hmm. That's it. And we're like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> like we're just kind of looking at each other like, what did we just watch? And then John comes in, comes on and he's like, uh, thank you very much. Uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, and he said the name of the person. We're like, what kind of name is that? Like, what? Like, we're not even paying attention. So it's like forgettable. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't even remember it. But then I'm at a record store maybe a year later, and I see that dude's name on a CD. And the name of the CD is Michigan. And the name of the guy is Sufian Stevens. Amethyst and flowers on the table. Is it real or a fable? Well, I suppose. It was Sufian who was opening for John, who turned his back to us to play three songs and then walked off stage. <laughs> and it was just such a like it was like this reverse like like mind blow kind of situation where where we had seen Sufian Stevens play to three people and I use the word play lightly because I don't I don't know what his mood was I've never asked him about it I never will. It was such a weird experience and kind of surreal in a way to be like, it was just super weird. But that's probably the best example of seeing somebody where there's like three of us in a room and then the person got big. Right, Um, right. That's that's, that's pretty amazing. No, no, most definitely. And um, no, Sufin Stevens is... I, I don't want to throw too many like, you know, hyperbolic statements, but I do think he is one of the most important musicians working today. Like, like I, 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 I'm, yeah. I mean that genuinely not in a like talking big hyperbolic using the word literal when I mean figurative kind of way. <laughs> he does so much. He does it so well and he does it in such a varied amount. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just this year, like within the last 12 months, there was the Ascension, there was uh, Convocations. Am I saying that right? Yeah. 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 And, and then he's got his brand new album. Would you remind me of the title of his new one that he's doing? Yeah, he's doing that with another artist named Angelo D'Augustine, and it's called A Beginner's Mind. And that yeah, one, it's like, about, like, it's loosely based on movies. And That's so it good. really is, seems wild too, because uh, the Ascension was kind of like him and his big bombastic, really fully loaded taco kind of like I'm putting everything <laughs> in here, it's and it's going to take burrito. you a while to like, you know, to dissect this. Like this, this is this yeah. is this is a complex thinking record, and I'm going to flood your brain with music. And then yeah. the Convocation stuff, I absolutely adored. They were all really. Um, I guess mellow was the overall theme, but very new agey, very, you know, 
very floaty, very cloudy. Yeah. And now it seems like he's getting, at least from the early, uh, the advanced singles, it seems like he's getting into his more like um, folkier, kind of like, you know, melodic song-based stuff with this upcoming album. So yeah. think about that. In like Just within yeah. like the last 12 months, doing all those yeah. things. And yeah. they're hard to track down, too. I've been trying to get a vinyl yeah. copy of the Convocation stuff. And I think yeah. y'all have already sold out your second pressing. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we have. It's wild. Yeah. I can't get one. Yeah. I'm a person who spends yeah. 24 hours a day on Bandcamp. I can't get a copy. <laughs> well, well, Seth, you can, we're, we're buddies. I, you know, as a record store deal, just just hit me up after the after after work and we'll, and we'll, we'll, we'll find a way to get you a copy. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll work out an interesting trade for you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the an thing that I love about this trade. story is that he was totally forgettable. Like the name, of course, like, is not a name like it's characteristic, but like if you just heard it and then you weren't there to see that person, you wouldn't remember Sufian Stevens. Right, right. And the music on it, like I can't tell you whether it was good or bad. Like obviously if I could go back in time, I'd have paid more attention to it. But mm-hmm. like we weren't there to see him. We were there to see John. And I don't remember it at all. I don't remember what songs he played. I don't remember if it was good or bad. And I think that the reason why that's a kind of a neat story is because like you talked about with Danielson, he worked really hard at like, he's a great performer, but when you walk out on stage and turn your back and play three songs to like four people, I don't blame you, but that's not good performing. (laughs) Like he learned how to do it and he, he found a way to like figure it out. You know, it was not coming natural to him. He wasn't a born natural performer. Um, So, so that's what I love about that story is that kind of like, some of the some of my stories are like about energy and the one with Sufian is the exact opposite like he just was not a great performer and maybe it was an off day or whatever but um he's gotten maybe a little better at it since then. So, <laughs> Tara do you remember the venue yeah. like you I mean I think it's the pilot light just cuz like everything small and amazing is there usually um but I've just I've just on my smartphone gone to the way back machine uh, because uh, whoever's done the Pilot Eye website now has taken off this amazing list that they used to have, which is an archive of uh. every band that's ever played. Um, and so I just got here and I don't see Sofian's name, but Half-Handed Cloud is on there four times he's played and then another time listed as Half-Handed Cloud slash Volmar. Volmar toured with him for a while too. So that's... It would have been super early. Like five two, times. Like it had to be... I mean, I'm looking at my smartphone and that's definitely the venue. Like it was kind of like you park behind the band van and are loading out yes. of the van. Yeah. <laughs> like, or you don't park at all or you park down the road. <laughs> right. And yeah. in this case, since we were the only ones there, we definitely parked behind John's van. <laughs> so, yeah. Actually, to be honest, it wasn't even a van. It was like a car just full of equipment, like probably like a... the. 2002 equivalent of a Corolla, like a neon or something like that. I don't know. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, and it could be one uh, of those things like, did they, was he F like officially on the lineup? Cause maybe they were just going back and filling in the blanks yeah. later on this website. Yeah. That's a good and point. And they're like, who did they say was that again? Right. It, yeah. You'd think that they would have Sufian on there, but if they didn't yeah. really, if Sufian was just kind of along for the ride, you know, if he was just some like guy. Official, yeah. 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 Some guy. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's like, I remember going to a show where, um, uh, I'm not sure if they were Candy Claws at the time or Sound of Series at the time, but anyway, same band. And uh, the guy from Apples and Stereo opened up for them 
and it was just a bonus because he just happened to be there. <laughs> like yeah. he's just like, oh, I'm here. Yeah, I'll play a show. Yeah, let's do it. And then it's like, great, thank you, bonus show. <laughs> you know. And maybe back then it was like, why, like, you know, John was kind of the main event. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm sure he didn't have like he wasn't filling 500 person venues, and, mm-hmm. and honestly, probably never has. So, um, but he should, by the way. But um, yeah, that's definitely. I'm looking at the link you just sent, Tara, and that's definitely the pilot. Pilot light is definitely it. It was a really fun show. Like we had a great time, and I think actually Sufian stayed at one of our friends' places that night, or John and Sufian stayed there. So maybe one day I'll ask Sufian about it. But I don't really yeah. remember. <laughs> right. It's just probably another tour. But um, one out of it's fun because yeah, hundreds. You know, some bands just knock it out of the park, and then there are bands that we see that. They don't, <laughs> you know, yeah. not all the shows that we see before they get big are like these frenetic, amazing experiences. Like sometimes they're having an off day or they haven't figured it out or anything like that. Yeah. I actually have a very similar story um, in one of my show lists. Ooh, uh, nice. Topics. Ooh. Uh, also from the pilot light. So. Ooh. Well, <laughs> let's, let's get to it. I can't wait to hear yeah. what Tara's got. So uh, let's see. So John can go put away his records. Terry, go gather yep. yours. Let's uh, take a quick break. Everybody, I'm Colleen Wolf from Thursday Night Football and Good Morning Football Weekend. And I'm Ricky Hollywood from around the NFL and the broadcast. On our new podcast, Split Ends, Ricky and I will be coming to you every week to talk about all the important and unimportant storylines in the football world. Join us every week for the stories on and off the field that matter. And some don't, but we think they're interesting, so we're going to talk about them anyway. And we'll find out where in the world is the wolf. Yep, I live out of a suitcase and I'll be sharing stories from football cities across America. We'll break down games, news stories, tweets, interviews, TikToks, conspiracy theories, whatever it takes to cover the ins and outs of the NFL world. Whether the big story is a coaching change or a stadium plumbing issue, we're here to talk you through it. Just a couple of best friends talking ball. Yep, and we'll drag some of our other friends to join us too. NFL media members, players, your mom, you name it. Listen to Split Ends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm Sammy J, and we're back with season three of my podcast, Let's Be Real with Sammy J. As part of Gen Z, I love that my generation is inspiring change, and I'm so excited to talk to more celebrities, activists, athletes, and influencers to find out what they're passionate about, how they're changing the world, normalizing stigmas, or helping others feel less alone. Season three is going to be exciting, revealing, and empowering. We've got Wayne Brady. I just realized, I was like, yeah, like the name of your podcast, let's be real, that's what it is. Ugh. Thank goodness for for you, man. This really, we need this message spread far and wide. Other guests include Jessica Alba, Megan Trainer, Josh Richards, and so many more. Season three will hopefully make you feel good at a time when we're all going through so many changes in the world today. Listen to Let's Be Real with Sammy J on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jen Kirkman, host of the Anxiety Bites podcast. I'm not a trained mental health professional. In fact, I'm a comedian and a writer, but I am experienced in having anxiety. I've had it my entire life. Generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, 
multiple phobias, but I've worked on them so much that by the time 2020 rolled around and it seemed like the rest of the world was just experiencing anxiety for the first time, I was actually feeling okay. And I wanted to do something to help other people find the right tools to help them take control of their overwhelming anxiety. So I decided to start a podcast. Anxiety Bites premieres on Wednesday, October 6th. Join me as I have irreverent but factual conversations with experts in the field of mental health. Subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Okay, I have gone. John Beeler, our customer, has gone. Today we are doing the high fidelity game of top five shows you saw before they were big. And this is a fun list because uh, it's unwieldy. You never know where it's going to go. It's a bunch of self-determining definitions of what is big, what is before, <laughs> you know? So, uh, Tara, I'm, I'm super curious. Uh, what, what, what do you got for us? Yeah, so I've seen many bands before they were medium, but (laughs) a lot of them (laughs) never were big. And so I made this list to be only from very small to hugely widely popular. Um, So yeah, let's get into it. Um, So this first one on number five, and also I've ranked them based off of the experiences that I had at those shows. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of just like your standard experience to like, what the hell was that? Oh my gosh. Right. Will be number one. Um, but yeah, okay. So number five, this is from March 12th. Also, I should note that I put every show that I go to, I tried to put every single show that I've gone to, and I've even been gone back from my memory of being a teenager going to shows on setlist.fm. And today, actually, if you saw me at a show, I'd be that nerd with her phone out, putting the set list in as it goes, um, unless I really need to pay attention. So I love it. Yeah. So all of this, uh, I was able to pull mostly from uh, my setlist.fm profile page. (laughs) (laughs) No, Um, I I love that you keep up with Last FM too. Your your music, um, your 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 music fandom is documented on the internet. It's documented yes it's great it is documented well you know up until the creation of last.fm and my joining yeah yeah (laughs) um anyway so okay so the number five is from march 12th 2011 so at the yeah at the drunken unicorn Ooh, great venue opening for the band colts was toro y moi Wow. Yeah. So this is like right when Underneath the Pines, uh, Pines, Pine came out. Um, and it was so tiny. It was, you know, a handful of people really like probably like handful is probably like 30, 40. Drunken Unicorn is really small. Um, and he was so good. It was my first time seeing him. He was so good. Um, I, I didn't, I don't think I had heard 
that album yet either because it just just came out. Um, and I loved it so much. I was there to see Colts. Um, right. But you know what? Colts pissed me off at this show. I know we're talking about yeah, Tori Law, but they pissed me off because, look, this was the time when you start, you were just like starting to document things on your phone, like Instagram. I don't know if Instagram was out yet or if it just started, but um, I think I was sending a picture or texting a friend to come to this show and the guitar player of Colts kicked my phone out of my hand and went also kicked my hand in the process of doing so. That pissed he me is off. not big enough to be able to get away with that. No, like, actually, I, I have seen people like, oh gosh, who was it? There's, there's like a famous thing. Oh, it was, it was, it was Tom Morello. Tom Morello has said very openly, if you ever pull out a phone in front of him while he's playing, he will throw your phone. Like, period. Like, it's, wow. it's, it's like, I am in the middle of doing my job and you're trying Tom to put Morello. a phone in my face. But that's and what also, I'm saying. can you even pull your phone out at a Rage Against the Machine show? You're probably getting thrashed about if you're even close enough to take your phone I believe out the footage I saw, it was like, someone was like on stage with him. Like, I don't know how oh, this rich kid what? got on the stage, yeah. but whatever. But, um, uh, but, but, but no, but that, Colts, the guitarist for Colts, he is nowhere yeah. near famous enough no. to get away with those kind of antics at the Pissed drunken me. unicorn. No, uh, no. Yeah. And also there's footage of some guy like actually filming like the sets from that night. So why me? Why? I was closest to the, the asshole of the band and I actually don't listen to them anymore because of that. No, that's, that, that's that was fair. So mean yeah. and uncalled for. It's like when a band, uh, it's like when a restaurant gives you food poisoning, them. you write it off. You go, I'm not going yeah. back there. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. But Tori and Ma have since seen him many times. Um, and just Underneath learned about him at that show. A, great album too oh, that's it's so good it's a contemporary yeah. classic for sure like it's 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 a perfect yeah from top to bottom album and but get this oh sorry oh, i was go just ahead. gonna say I, I didn't i didn't expect this like him opening for colts doesn't make sense to me I, I know in the timeline it does but like he to me is so much more important so much more prolific than they are like they to me no offense to colts i think i own their entire discography i like colts but they are like a blog band. They are like a band that yeah. had like one cool hit single and then had to Go rush outside. to make an album to back it right. up, you know? Yes. And that's cool. You know, everyone needs something. But Toro Imois is unprecedented. He releases tons of albums from all kinds of genres. He jumps all over the place with like what he does and how he does it. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. that's wild that he was opening for them. I, I never would have figured that. Mm. Yeah, he was wearing a super cool like sweatshirt with geometric shapes on it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was vintage. It looked vintagey. Um, anyways, the next time I saw him was in 2013 in Atlanta and he was still opening, but it was at the masquerade, um, in heaven. So a huge venue. Mm -hmm. And I think this one, either this one was with cut copy or little dragon. I've mm. seen him open for both and I can't remember which one it was. Maybe it was the same one. No, I don't think it was the same one, but anyways, um, all that to say is it was at a much larger venue. Um, and then after that, I saw him as the headliner at the Buckhead Theater. So every time I saw him, it was a growth, a, a step up in growth. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was Good uh, pick, number though. five. It's it's weird to listen to his really old stuff. His first album sounds yeah, a lot like Ariel Pink, which oh, is really pretty mm. cool. Yeah. Because then I'm not giving money to Ariel Pink when I listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, Such a bummer. <laughs> yeah, it is. 
that's a whole right. other like top five categories yeah. of bands you wish you hadn't seen. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, it's 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 we we've been um it comes up often in this record store is the whole yeah. like separating art from artist thing and you know For sure. a friend of mine actually came up with a pretty good rule recently that he told me about this and I was like oh wow this this is actually a nice little thing it doesn't answer all the questions but. If you're listening to an artist and they say something or do something terrible and you're like, oh, fuck, I don't really want to support them anymore. You can officially write them off as soon as they double down on their negative behavior. So let's say they said something that was racist. Okay. You go, whoa, whoa, what's the deal with that? I don't want to listen to you anymore. And then they come out in their press release and they're like, no, 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 I mean it. I really mean what I said. It's like, okay, official write off. Like that, I think that's I think that's a yeah. fair rule. Is that when when you have the chance to make your clarification in a press statement or whatever on your social media, and you say no, 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 I mean it. Like J.K. Rowling done has done a million times, or right. Morrissey has done a million times, then it's okay to write them off because it wasn't them huh. misspeaking or being quoted out of context. They have doubled down and are officially telling you that they're a piece of shit, and that's Wait, when but- you can say no, thank you. What about Ryan Adams? Because didn't he like apologize or say like a nice apology or whatever? But then or something. But he. But I, I'd have weird. to go back to the um to this to the original things. But he did this to multiple women. There were multiple women that he treated poorly. So I would call that doubling down. Wouldn't yeah, you? but I guess it didn't come out though that he had, and then it <sighs> came out, and then he apologized, and then has he? I don't know. I don't know. That's just, uh, yeah. See, for, for me, I would consider the multiple times that he treated women poorly. Gotcha. That would be the okay. confirmation it's that not, he doesn't so, regret it, you know? Okay, so it's not necessarily that they're given a chance to, like, apologize or right their wrongs. It's just, like, you did it more than once, so you therefore you are peace o- POS. Oh, it's so hard. But yes, that, that's <laughs> that's at least the thinking in my mind right now. But yeah, I, I, as always, I don't have the answers for this. It's something that's difficult to parse out. Yeah. Let's mm. not... Let's not put negative energy around my list. Yes, yes, exactly. Cool bands that are huge now. Um, Okay, let's move on to number four. And this is actually not a band. Um, Well, he's part of a band, I will say. Um, This was October 6, 2010. Um, I had just seen War Paint and the XX play a Tabernacle. There was an after party at MJQ, which is where I DJ. This is a Wednesday night. This after party included Fantastic Mr. Fox, Coolie G, Dusk and Black Dawn, and none other than the extraordinarily talented Jamie XX. That's yeah. so cool. That's so cool. He DJed at MJQ. <laughs> uh, wow. Again, this is 2010. So he, at this point, had just done a few remixes. Yeah. Uh, the Gil Scott Heron thing didn't come out until 2011 when he really popped off. So this was like right before that. This is like on a Wednesday at MJQ. It's like college night. You could mm. call it that. Um, so I wonder if any of the people there even knew what was going on. Um, but I, I have a picture and like my mind is still blown that I saw Jamie XX at MJQ. Yeah. yeah. And I actually don't remember seeing Miss Fantastic Mr. Fox. 
uh, or anyone else except for Cooley G that night. So, um, yeah. But it's also wild too, because I think maybe just last week, uh, recently, we were talking about uh, the uh, UK garage music scene. Oh, yeah. And it's so funny how, like, back when the XX were out there making a little splash, you know, like they, they, they were popular in, let's say, the stereo gum scene. Now he, he has surpassed everything he's ever done with the XX. Oh, yeah. and, and now he's Jamie XX and he used to be in this mm-hmm. band that was also kind of good. You know, like mm-hmm. his popularity has far surpassed his band, which is pretty wild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the next time that I saw him was I couldn't uh, I, I didn't really like nail down when it was the exact last time, but it was either um, 2015 Big Years or Pitchfork because I saw him both times. Mm. So, but at a giant music festival four years later or five years later. So, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So cool. And especially too, like you saw him in his form that he wasn't even publicly really being yet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty neat. Um, Yeah. 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 Like he had done, um, I think the most popular remix that he had at the time, at that time was a Florence and the Machine one. Hmm. Um, But that's. I mean, and there were a few others, but that was like the most popular one. But yeah, so crazy. I feel very lucky to have experienced that. For sure. Um, Yeah. All right. Uh, Number three is from the year 2002. Um, This was in Nashville, Tennessee at the Slow Bar, which is now Three Crow Bar, if it's still open. I don't know for sure because I don't live in Nashville. But uh, it was the Beachwood Sparks, Treasure State, and the Shins. We've always had just come out or something like that. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, this is a bar. They don't even have a stage. <laughs> so crazy. And also that was my first time hearing Beachwood Sparks too. Oh, cool. And I love them now. Yeah. Um, the next time that I saw the shins was at the orange pill in 2005, which I think, was shoots and ladders. So post Garden State. Yeah, post Garden State. <laughs> That's their career. PG, PGS. Yeah, exactly. No Before Garden yeah. State or post Garden State. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, when I was living in Portland, um, it was during that same time when the Shins were first starting to like make it local big and then post Garden State, make it big, big. And it was so funny because, um, what is the lead singer's name? I always forget it because I'm an asshole. Of the Shins? Yes. Uh, James. Mercer? Yeah, right? Mercer. Yeah, yeah. James I was Mercer. Like, Shit, is it even James? <laughs> Memory. We did it. Um, everyone had a James Mercer story in Portland. And huh. it was funny because he had this thing, which is totally understandable, but never sounds good, which is when you are in a band. And you are, it's made up of like people that are around you, friends, just other musicians, you know. And then as soon as you make it big, you dump them all and hire like quote unquote professional musicians and basically make a new band out of people who are really good at their instruments, as opposed to the ones you come up, you came up with. 
mm-hmm. he pulled that move. And so then all the people who used to be in the shins, they were still hanging around Portland in the same, like, you know, schlubby clubs that all of us were. So we schlubby only clubs. heard the negative stories from them. Huh. Like, they're, like, huh. the, like one of the guys from the shins, like, ran this, like, burrito truck. So, like, it would be like, huh. you know, you would go out, you get your burrito, and you hear, like, these stories about James Mercer being an asshole. And I'm sure he's not. I'm sure he's not an asshole. But those were the stories going around just because he was in that position of, I have a new band because my band is very popular now. I am the Shins. I am James Mercer. Interesting. Everyone else can go. They aren't as important as I, James Mercer. And so... I mean, I wonder if that's really the story because... Exactly. Like, I'm sure it's not. I'm sure he's perfectly if, nice. Yeah. And I'm sure... Like if... Yeah. If any of them yeah. had families or something and like the whole touring thing is like really taking off, the band's taking off, they have to tour a lot, yeah. which is really hard. But yeah. it, what's funny For is sure. I've heard a version of that story of the, I am the, the genius behind this band. So I mm-hmm. will decide when we basically get rid of just the people I know and hire the best, you know? Interesting. <laughs> and yeah. it, it's cool. I totally get it. I totally get it. But it is just that's the way it goes. Like in, in like the world of public opinion, it just doesn't look good. It, it's 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 a bad look, you know. Yeah. yeah. I also wonder is like record label. Do they have any? Like, did they do that? Oh, you need. I wouldn't a more be surprised. Band. Yeah, I mean that that's definitely like a stereotype in like a music biopic. It's like yeah. who are these guys? Oh, you, you gotta, I know. Yeah. You gotta ditch them. Let me show you this new guitarist. You know, like that's that's totally yeah. a scene in the biopic. Yeah. 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 For sure. So yeah, who knows. Um, who knows? I hope he's nice. I really do. All right. That was number three. So number two, this was November 23rd, 2001 in Nashville, Tennessee at the 328 Performance Hall, which is a tiny little place. And I don't think it's there anymore. Uh, also, I don't know for sure because I haven't been to Nashville in a while. Uh, but it was The Strokes. Whoa! Yeah, These are huge bands, Tara. Yeah, I know. You're, you've gone much bigger like, oh. than John and I have. <laughs> I yeah. was only going for the ones that like seriously made it. Um, but I don't know. I feel like I just got so lucky, and this show was crazy because. Man, Julian Casablancas was knee walking drunk. Like he could barely <laughs> stand. He could barely stand, but he was singing every note perfectly. I mean, yeah. perfectly. It was awesome. It was packed to the gills, hot, sweaty rock show. It was it was so rad. And then they played every song from Is This It, like every single one of them. Right. They didn't have much else. They had to. (laughs) And they did play, uh, because it's on the setlist.fm, they played um, New York City Cops and Barely Legal, which are on the, well, New York City Cops. Wait, one of them is not on the next album. New York City Cops was cut out because of 9-11. Yeah. What, what, What was the date on that one? Uh, 2001, 1123, 2001. 1123. So yeah, they, they must yeah. have just been making that decision right around then. Cause, uh, yeah. yeah. Cause I remember the British version does have New York city cops, but the American version doesn't. 
because they didn't want to because I, I believe the lyrics of this song are like New York City cops they're not that smart and New York City cops uh, etc okay. etc oh, yeah. and so at the time making fun of New York City cops right after 9-11 was a no-go yeah yeah for sure man smart. what a show I know so crazy how like what do you remember I mean obviously it was a long time ago but <laughs> what do you what do you what do you remember about the show was it what was the energy like? Like, what was the it was, vibe? It was, the energy was on fire. I mean, the entire wow. room, it, everyone was, everyone was rocking out and having a good time. Oh, man. Um, It was loud. Yeah, it was a long time ago. I barely remember it. But I mean, I was 21, so probably was just drinking for the first time, really, like uh, three months later. Um. Yeah, it it was just wild. I just remember being wild. And I just remember really like watching Julian Casablancas and seeing him like almost fall over so many times, <laughs> but perfectly sing everything. Yeah, right. it was crazy. And then I think the, la- the next time I, I can't remember the next time that I saw them because I've seen them a few more times, but the one that stands out for me Next is shaky knees, mm. and it's just like a uh, field of people. Right. That that was because right. they were the headliner. It was like yeah. it was almost like a reunion type show, just because they hadn't played yeah. in a while. Yeah. I mean, I saw uh, Julian and the voice. No, not the voids. Yeah. Yeah, Julian Casablancas and the voids. Yeah. The, yeah, the Eleventh Dimension song. Yeah. I saw him do that, and it was such a tiny room of people with a uh, twin sister at the time. Now, Mister Twin Sister. But yeah, so it went from this tiny venue, packed to the gills, sweat everywhere, Julian falling over, to fast forward to Shaky Knees. It's a freaking field full of people. And it sounded perfect still, just like, they're, they're so good. <laughs> they're yeah. so good. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's what, what I thought about also is that I think the artists and musicians also yearn for that vibe, like that, that energy, you know? And Mm -hmm. and I think you start to like, at some certain point tours and shows become businesses unto themselves. Like each show, like, especially for a band, like, like the strokes or even, or the shins, it's like, or even like Sufian, you know, for three to 4,000 per, like it's a, there's like a crew and there's people and there's a machine that runs and to reclaim that energy to get back to that when you're right there and the 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 audience is right there, there's something magical about that for everybody. And probably something annoying and complicated and not great. But I bet yeah. I bet I bet the strokes, they may not remember that show or maybe they do, but I bet they still wish they could get back to that somehow. True. Yeah. yeah a tiny, small. I wonder if they ever do just do New York. Uh, limited capacity shows because that's where they live and it's just like all their friends like they give the pre-sale link to all their friends and or something i don't know but maybe that's also why they all have side projects like maybe that like maybe julian casablancas gets that feeling when he plays a voids show albert Heyman jr when he does a solo show um i feel like there's another band somewhere there's the no joy one or something joy oh um little joy no Little Joy. Is, is it Little yeah, Joy? I think that's the one with that sounds right. Rodrigo Amarante. Yeah. Albert Heyman Jr. is in that with Binky Shapiro, right? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. These are facts, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, but, you're right. Maybe that's with the side projects. That's where they get the smaller yeah. shows. Interesting. Good stuff. That's true. That's cool. That's, uh, that's your number two? That's number two. So you're going to okay, top this that. Ne- All right. <laughs> the next one is so crazy. Like the actual, like what happened at the show. If you're going to tell me you saw like, Jeff Buckley, I'm just going to walk out of this oh, store no, right now. I never got to see <laughs> him. It was the, it was oh, the that's, yeah. that's on my shows I wish I could have seen, but they're gone. Show we will list. do that list one day. Is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Concerts yeah. we will shows, never get to see. The shows yeah. they got away. Jeff shows Buckley's definitely going to be on there. Pr- Prince is going to yeah. be on there. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Uh, Don't ruin my whole list. You're just Come ruining on. my whole list. I mean, not this one, that one that we haven't even built yet. Uh, all right. Okay. So this was 2002, October 22nd, 2002 at the pilot light in Knoxville, Tennessee, where I'm from. And the artist is Cat Power. When I'm watching my TV and a man come on to tell me. Whoa. Good one. Okay. Man. So... Sean Marshall, Cat Power. This is when she had long hair bangs. This was the covers tour, I think. Gotcha. Um, that's the album where she does a lot of covers, a lot of blues covers. She yeah. covers Satisfaction by Rolling Stones. So it's like not a lot of people. Everybody's just kind of sitting on the floor, actually, because it's such a quiet, minimal show. Wow. She's sitting. She plays like... I want to say like four songs uh, on the piano. Then she goes and gets her guitar, maybe plays one song guitar, then lays the guitar on her lap and puts all her hair in the front of her face. She just smushes all her hair in the front of her face. And then she just like gets up and walks off. (laughs) And I heard later that she was hiding behind the trash can near the front door. I don't know if that's true. I mean, I've heard stories that she has a lot of um, anxiety about being in front yeah. of people, playing shows, and that sometimes it interferes with her concerts, that that she just, yeah. it's too much for her and she can't stand well, plus, it. Plus, she was dealing with a lot of like alcoholism and stuff at the time, I believe. Um, she's sober now, or I think or she was, so. And yeah. the pilot light, if, you know... Like looking at pictures, it's a small venue. Like you, you can't it's really tiny. get away from people. Right. I don't even no. know if there's a green room. Like I don't. There's no green room <laughs> behind the trash can. <laughs> behind the trash can is the green room. There's no. Green room. That's where they uh, laid out uh, yeah. her like deli plate and everything on her rider, just right there behind <laughs> oh, geez, the trash oh, can. <laughs> there's no deli plate for cap. Yeah, this is. Yeah. She, Holy moly. It, there wasn't that many people there, so there's no way she had really gotten like what even became what came before the covers album, you know? Like Um there was one album, right, where it's like a just a woman's face but not her face, right? Cuz You Are Free was after that, correct? Um It's hard keeping Sean Marshall's discography straight in my head. It's all good though. <laughs> okay, yeah, You Are Free is after that yeah. in 2003. Covers record came out in 2000. And she had like four before that. Yeah. I remember the All one where it's like 95. a woman's face. Anyway. But no, yeah. She, she um, yeah. She's a wonderful artist. She's really, really, really great. Oh, so, so good. Yeah. So good. That's a great um, one to see. Man, we, we never overlapped. All, all, all three of our we lists. We didn't. We but never wait, um, wait. 
had the same pick. Although although we we had um, similar stories with each other's lists. Uh, I was just going to say the next time that I saw Cat Power was in Atlanta in 2013, and it was at Earthlink or not Earthlink Live, whatever is Earthlink Live now. It's um, yeah, Center Stage, Center Stage. Okay. So yeah, a much larger venue, mm-hmm. uh, much larger venue. Highly acclaimed Cat Power. Uh, crazy. Yeah. I mean, I, that venue, like I scrolled through some of the shows and it's like Ted Leo, Cat Power, Black Keys, Deerhoof, Magnolia Electric Company for yeah. $5. And then like Over the Rhine shows up and it's $12. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. yeah. <laughs> this is crazy. I feel very lucky. It's fun to think about all these bands that have come through and we see them and we participate in that story. And then we inevitably go back to see them and have different experiences with the band. Like some are good and some are bad. And some you're like, oh, it's not as good as the last time. But it's just interesting the way that, you know, as a music lover, we we end up sometimes catching people on the way up. And yeah. and we're like a small part of that story, you know? Yeah. It's kind of fun. Well, and, yeah. and kind of like the St. Saint, uh, Saint Vincent thing, I... You know, we we happen to know that St. Vincent used to be in the backing band for the Polyphonic Spree and for the Illinois Makers. That's just because we happen to know that. Like, imagine mm-hmm. how many just like guitarists and drummers and keyboardists that are now in bands we absolutely adore were played some strange opening act that we do not remember. Mm-hmm. Like, like how many times yeah. have we seen, you know, oh, right. name it. It's true. Yeah, name an artist. Yeah. <laughs> and we saw them yeah. somewhere else, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Wow. Interesting lists, all of us. And I also like that by design, in a way, each of our picks has a little story that goes with it. Like it's kind of like by default when you're describing a concert that you saw, you got got a little story. (laughs) I mean, if there's anything I could say to anyone else, it's like those, if you go to a festival, because this still happens Mm. to me with big ears where I'll go, I'll read about these bands I don't know about and I'll go to them, but I'm inevitably missing something else. And then a year later, I'm like, what? They played and I missed it. Kind of a thing. It's like, shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, There's a bunch of bands that we've seen that we even forget about because it was just a numbers game and like they didn't get big and maybe we liked them and maybe we didn't, but we don't remember them because they never put out another record. Yeah. But then there's bands that we missed because we were seeing another band that we could have seen i mean there's that those are the shows that got away maybe but um yeah that kind of intersection yeah. of stories is interesting yeah for sure so for cool sure, for sure. so excellent. cool excellent <laughs> well the last thing we got to do before we close the store we're already up later than we should be is uh we got to do our employee recommendation shelf now um mm. basically anything that's that's been just you know tickling your fancy anything that makes you happy right now personally i've been listening to uh the brand new faye webster album came out just this year 2021 uh it's called i know i'm funny haha and it's great so good she's such a great talent um her voice is so wonderful um she she has a sound and she's really just like just nailing it you know what i mean like um i've Mm -hmm. I've liked all of her work up until now and i like it still great new album if you've never listened to any of her stuff i can recommend all of it but yeah uh doubling down 2021 faye webster i know i'm funny haha go pick it up Uh, Tara, how about you? Um, I just want to say there's a song on that album called A Dream with a Baseball Player. Yeah. And there's a a line, uh, 
or like a couple lines that she says, how am I supposed to ever be with him when he and I don't speak the same language, but we have conversations in my head. And I just think that is so like, we do that. We all do that. Yeah. It's so great. No, no, great she's like, line a part. great lyricist. There, there's one and I'm going to paraphrase it because I'm sure I'm getting it slightly wrong where she goes, she's talking in a song about how her only friend is her dog and her dog doesn't even know her name. And it's like, yes. oh, that's so sweet and I so sad. I remember that part too. And it's yeah. true. And then actually there was a whole TikTok trend. It was like, your cat doesn't even know your name. Your dog doesn't even know your name. So you're, it's like people like, hi, my name is blah, blah, blah. And you're like telling them their name and the dog or cat just like, okay, like. They don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, people got to check out Faye Webster if they haven't. She is wonderful and she's only getting better. So uh, yeah, yeah. Tara, how yeah. about you? Um, mine is called Hildegard. Um, Hildegard is the name of this debut album, but is also the name of a duo made of Helena Deland. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. And Ori. Um, and it is sort of minimal electronic music, but with a very soft, sugary, but palatable vocals, similar almost to FK Twig's early stuff, if you're into that. Mm. Highly recommend. Hildegard just came out this year. Nice. Uh, John, I know you don't work here, but is there anything that's been making you extra happy right now, music-wise? Oh, um, you know, I've uh, really been loving Madison McFerrin. She's got, uh, it feels like there's a there's a record coming out. Um, her new single, Over the Ocean, is really good. So nothing can stop. So far, so good, so far, so So I actually am pretty sure she's got a record coming out pretty soon but her stuff is just great it's just super entertaining and that's not the main point but it, it feels very effective and um i'm just super excited to see what she's got going on she's been tweeting a lot more and so i assume there's some kind of project coming out but nice. um, cool. yeah her stuff is great well excellent well a big thank you to uh, everyone for coming into the store today really appreciate y'all uh, being patrons of ours and uh visiting this record store whenever you have the chance uh, but extra big thank you to John Beeler for playing along with the High Fidelity game. We really appreciate it. Please come back anytime you feel like it. This was wonderful. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's good to see y'all. Absolutely. Yay. But the store is officially closed. So happy trails, everyone. Until we meet again. Record Store Society is hosted by Tara Davies and Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to recordstoresociety at iheartmedia.com. Or you can find us on all your favorite social media sites with the handle at Record Store Society. Record Store Society is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Everyone loves shopping online. Well, I'm going to tell you what I tell my golf buddies when they buy clubs. Stop searching for coupon codes. Download Capital One Shopping to your computer. Capital One Shopping instantly searches for available coupon codes and automatically applies them at checkout. Plus, it's free, and you don't even need a Capital One card to use it. That's like hitting a hole in one without even trying. 
Capital One Shopping. It's kind of genius. What's in your wallet? Savings and available coupons vary. I'm Colleen Wolf from Thursday Night Football and Good Morning Football Weekend. And I'm Ricky Hollywood from around the NFL and the broadcast. On our new podcast, Split Ends, Ricky and I will be coming to you every week to talk about all the important and unimportant storylines in the football world. Join us for the stories on and off the field that matter. And some don't, but we think they're interesting, so we're going to talk about them anyway. We'll break down games, news stories, tweets, interviews, whatever it takes to cover the ins and outs of the NFL world. We're here to talk you through it. Just a couple of best friends talking ball. Listen to Split Ends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. At age 30, Carissa finished her high school diploma. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, you can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.